Welcome to Innovative Legal Leadership, the podcast where you'll hear from the world's most innovative general counsel and their leadership teams for their insights into the running of a Fortune 500 in-house legal department. The challenges, the wins, the roadblocks, the journey to date, and most importantly, what lies ahead. Let's get into the show. Hello, listeners. In today's episode, I'm speaking with Brandon Pace. Brandon is the Chief Administration Officer and Company Secretary at Lending Club. It's a great discussion. We start right at the beginning as to what influenced Brandon to get into law, and you'll hear about the importance that Brandon's family placed on service. We talk about also his interest in tech and how that originated. And now, you know, we're talking the 80s and the 90s, and that was kind of pretty novel at the time, so he talks about that. The highlight for me, a couple of highlights, I think, really the challenges that he had early on when he joined Lending Club because that they were in some difficulty at the time and how he managed that. And really, the second highlight for me is really how passionate Brandon is about the Lending Club mission. And we talk a little bit about that. So it's a marvellous discussion. I know you're going to enjoy it. So in the usual fashion, sit back, chillax and enjoy the episode. Brandon Pace, welcome to the show. It's fantastic to have you on board. Looking forward to the discussion. Thank you. It's a great pleasure to be here. Great to talk with you live. Fantastic. Now, Brandon, you're the Chief Administrative Officer and Corporate Secretary of Lending Club right now. But as I often say to my guests, you weren't always in that position. There's a story before that. Take us way back to the beginning. Perhaps what got you interested in law in the first place and maybe some early pivotal moments that kind of set you up for your career? You know, I I look back, I guess, for me, I I remember a couple of years ago finding a journal from when I was five or six years old, and I wrote down in there that I was going to be a doctor or a lawyer, you know, and I reflected at the time on, you know, five or six-year-old Brandon having made that decision, you know, what's that about? But, you know, as I look back, you know, all of my family members have ended up in one of those two professions. And it's, you know, it's really for us, it's been about kind of a focus on service and a focus on helping people. And those are the two professions, you know, between them where where you do that. And so if you look at most of my uncles, my grandparents and so forth, they are in one of those two professions and they've kind of made a life out of service. And, you know, obviously I felt that calling very early in my own life. And so I remember in college, you know, kind of thinking about that same thing, you know, and I wish I had some grand epiphany about why law versus medicine, but, you know, I landed on law. So here we are. Just a few years later, the gray hair doesn't give away, but it's just been a couple of years. Uh, so, so talk about baking nice and early for you. It sounds like it really was an early bake. As for the why law versus medicine, I don't know if it had anything to do with a side of blood, but certainly that's where that's what pushed me in one direction rather than the other. So you've got to law school, your early years, I can see you've got some, like many of us, some law, you know, top tier law firm experience. Tell me about some of those early years and perhaps some of the learnings about yourself, which have kind of resonated for you, which you look back on now as, as pretty formative. So my father worked for a really, really old tech company called Hewlett Packard. And so I had some exposure to technology. I remember the first touchscreen screen we had in the 1980s were like the screen is like set back an inch from the front of the computer because you put your finger into the screen and you can, that's what a touchscreen was, was, it was kind of sensors. And so I was always into technology. And so I knew, 
even when I went to law school and even kind of with a desire to, you know, be in a place where I was going to help people, that technology was important for me. And so, you know, I focused when I was looking for law schools, I was focused on a, on a school where I could be in technology. And again, in the mid 90s, technology focused law schools weren't really a thing. That's exactly what I was thinking, too. So I went to IP because I knew IP would get me to technology. And so that's how I landed on the law school. Yep. And when you think about it now, it's that kind of distinction right now, everyone kind of, it's easy to, to, to reflect on and see how technology is going to be impactful in your career. But 80s and 90s, that wasn't a thing. I remember being sit, sat down in my early, I think a second year law school, and one of my professors had said, look, I think computers are going to be really big. I think you need to under, and I thought to myself, I'm not sure he knows what he's really talking about. But that gives you a sense of kind of my intuition into the future. But but there just wasn't those kind of opportunities. So your dad being at HP, having an early influence, they were few and far between, I think, early on. And actually then finding the opportunities, you know, as you say, IP, I can see absolutely why that was potentially a path through the technology and finding that and kind of mapping that out for yourself earlier, that, that not many people would have been doing that at the time. Yeah, you know, deliberateness, I suppose, is something we're going to end up talking about a couple of different, you know, ways as we kind of talk today. But, you know, that was pretty deliberate for me. And so, you know, the the law firm that I chose at the time when I got my first job was, you know, the granddaddy of tech firms and here in Silicon Valley, you know, and so those have been kind of some very deliberate decisions about, you know, where I really felt like my calling was and about, you know, what I was pretty clear on in terms of what I what I felt like I wanted to do. And so, you know, getting to Silicon Valley and working for a law firm that was helping technology companies, you know, was very much part of that journey for me. Yep. And, and in those early days, did you have your eye on, well, a law firm is basically going to be the stepping stone to an in-house position? Was that thinking, was that not that developed early on? No, I wasn't, you know, I guess it's always in the back of your mind. You go to law school and you hear about the people that go in-house and your clients when you're in a law firm are lawyers that are in-house. But really, for me, I was very much focused on I want to be the big law partner, as you know, as we say, you know, at times, big law. And so I was very focused on that, you know, and kind of all the attendant hours and everything that that involves and did that for many years. I don't know if it's the next phase, but certainly a phase in your career consistent with what you've said was the the time that you spent at at, uh, PayPal and and eBay. Tell us a little bit about that. And I presume that was before the split off of PayPal and then some time with eBay. So tell us about that and how that kind of influenced you. Yeah. You know, so when I, you know, when 2008 hit and, you know, law firms kind of changed and I realized big law wasn't where I wanted to be, you know, I went to a regional firm for a minute and thought, I'm just not interested in that kind of work. And so that's where I made the jump to in-house. And so, yeah, I was at, I was at you know, eBay when eBay owned PayPal. And that's really where I got my start in fintech. And so I did that for a number of years. And over the course of that time, PayPal and eBay, PayPal was spun off from eBay. And so, I, you know, I spent a lot of time working on PayPal matters and so forth. And so that was, what, seven, six, seven years of, of my career is representing technology and fintech companies from an in-house perspective. Yeah. And then, of course, the last five years, you've been with Lending Club, a fascinating business. Tell us about, let's tell us about the early days there and the early priorities. And then I'd like to get a sense of how that's kind of changed more recently. Yeah. So, you know, the early days, I started just after the company had undergone, you know, something of a 
of a management change due to some very publicly disclosed challenges. And so really my early days were about, I've got to figure out a way to stabilize this company, you know, working with a new management team, rebuilding trust with investors and our customers. And so we spent a lot of time on, we are in the business of trying to help people. The, the primary use case for our company is to help people pay off credit card debt at a lower rate. And so we had a product that I was very proud of, and we had to get through kind of this early, very challenging time of sorting through some decisions that were made, you know, by prior management that I'll let the kind of the public record speak to, but we had to stabilize it. And then once we got that figured out, it's now how do we get this business back growing fast, being dynamic, being a leader in the, in the, in the technology, the fintech space which is something, you know, that is still I'm very excited about. And that's that's where we've been very much focused over the last couple of years now. And those early, tell me, Brandon, those early challenging days where it's a difficult environment, you've got a whole lot of moving pieces. What are the key things that you're trying to put in place that's going to help basically stabilize the company, you know, around the team that you're building, the stakeholders that you're managing, what are some of the key for you, the, the key things you're doing in the learnings that are happening during this time? Great question. So, you know, I kind of think of at least a couple of things. The first one is whenever you have a crisis or a problem, right, when you're at a large enough organization, you've got to have a group of people you can rely on and trust to get the work done, right? And so expertise and integrity and trust, those are kind of really key elements. And so you've got to get in and assess what you have, and you've got to assess what you need in order to kind of get those things done. And so that's why, you know, you, I'm sure could go back and look and see, but there were a number of personnel changes and other things that were made because we had to get this right, right? Which is you've got to, you know, to use a kind of a, maybe a crude analogy, sometimes you have to cleanse the wound. And so you've got to get in and cleanse the wound before the healing can begin. And so, you know, and then you're really focused on, okay, we've got the right people. Now we've got to do, you know, the work. And again, that comes back to a lot of trust because where you have a problem like that and you're talking to regulators, you're talking to the market, you're talking to your customers, everyone says, you guys had a problem. Do you still have that problem? Right. And so that really comes down to integrity and trust. And that's about your own personal integrity. And that's about, you know, the trust and integrity that you re have to rebuild with your customers, your regulators and everybody else. And so a lot of time and energy goes into we do what we say we're going to do and come check and see and, and you'll kind of see who we are and what we are about. And if there's a problem, we're going to be the first to know about it. We're going to fix it and we'll tell you about how we fixed it. Yeah. And those attributes, Brandon, trust and integrity, it's not... It's, it should be pervasive in an organisation internally so that your own employees feel that trust and integrity. Externally, your customers, your regulators, you get that bit right, then other pieces, in my mind, start falling into place. You, if you don't have that or if there are cracks there, then it's really hard to build any kind of foundation for a sustainable organisation. What, what do you think? Yeah, Jim, I think... I agree. That's a great insight. But it also is so freeing, right? Because if you're not worried about what kind of decision is that person going to make, it allows you to really think about, can I move faster now, right? Because I'm not worried about what decision got made in the room that I wasn't in. 
or what decisions getting made that I don't know all, all the way about because you can you have the right people. And so it just it frees you to be able to move faster and say, you know, we're, we're going to make the right decisions for the right reasons. So let's go for it. You know, not everything works in technology and everything works in fintech. Right. So you've got to be able to fail without being worried about a dark consequence. It's it's a you know, it's not a great business day when you have something that doesn't work. But that doesn't mean that you're going to have a big regulatory problem or whatever else. Right. Yeah. In fact, quite recently, I just spoke to Kristen Svercek. She was a former general counsel and now chief business officer at Lyft. She talked about doing the right thing. So when I think about having that really as a touchstone, so when I think about trust, integrity, doing the right thing, if you've got that, if, they, if you have those as central kind of have touchstones at everything that you do, then I think you get exactly where you talk about. Then you're not worried about the decisions that have been made. And you can focus on moving quickly and making an impact. So whatever the business environment you're in. Yeah, that's right. That's that's well said. Okay. What, what about now, present, and looking into the future for you and Lending Club and the kind of priorities that you've got? What's top of mind for you? And what are the, the kind of the, some of the strategies that you're putting in place to the extent that you can share with us? Yeah, of course. So, you know, number one, right, we are in a pretty dynamic environment. I mean, obviously, our growth plans, and I'm sure many others over the last 18 months, two years have been disrupted. It's, I guess it's been almost two years now, so we can say two years, right? COVID gets in the way. You know, the ability to be agile, I think, is really important. And so, you know, I think some of the things as we kind of came out of, you know, some of those darker days and really started to think about, let's get to the next level, we're now kind of picking those things up with kind of this interlude period in between. And so it's really about how do we, we're, you know, we believe that technology can help people and can, you know, and can really help people's financial lives. And that's a key to help, you know, unlocking people's personal lives and everything else. People carry a lot of stress around financial stress and it impacts a lot of what they do. And so finding ways in which we can help people improve their financial lives, manage their debt better, get out of debt, whatever some of their personal financial goals may be. We've kind of with 14, 15 years of experience and many millions of loans, we've we found a, you know, what we think is a lot of data and a lot of expertise that helps people find a way to get out of get out of debt and we can we can help people or manage their debt and we can help people do that. And so how do we scale our business to be able to do that? Are there other products we can offer to extend that? That's really how we're thinking about it now is how do we grow kind of consistent with our member centric, as we call them, you know, our customer, our customer focus to help our customers, our members. And Brandon, when I think that about that kind of mission, I remember reading a while ago, some studies about basically the mind share that people have to allocate to economic security and really how, how impactful for those of us who are more fortunate and more secure position, really recognizing that it's nonstop mindshare and whatever you can be doing, I think, in the world to basically be shedding some of that load, <laughs> that mindshare load, so as to provide, be providing a level of comfort, a greater level of comfort around economic security is a fantastic mission because it's something that you know, it does occupy so, so much mindshare of so much of the you know, world population. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think you've, you know, you've obviously you're well read, you kind of you kind of understand it. But when you look at like kind of, you know, the, the hierarchy of needs, if you're focused on where your next food's going to come from, or how you're going to pay that bill, it's consuming, right? You, you're not worried about it's all consuming, right? Absolutely. Right from 
moment you've got gone to sleep to the moment you wake up to, to the, if you are worried about the economic, effectively economic survival of you and those that you are responsible for, that there is nothing more pervasive in you know, what you're thinking about and the mind share that's, that it's taking up. So, so it, it is a fantastic, fantastic cause. Yeah, you know, and so kind of giving people that liberty, obviously, we're a for-profit company, to be certain, right? And, and, and you know, obviously, that's part of what, what we are. But, you know, finding a way to merge those really important concepts and free people to live their lives, right? That's what I love about what I do is this is a way where I can kind of mix those passions that I have about helping people and helping to run a, you know, a, a successful business. For me, it's a real sweet spot, and I love it. Yeah. So clearly a passion around tech innovation in the financial world. Tell me how that has translated at all in relation in the legal world, if you like, and around perhaps legal tech or something that you're focused on around the way that you know, law is practice. How do you see those things from tech innovation and law? Talk about that. It sounds like you've been sitting in on some of my phone calls with some of my uh, partner law firms where I talk about the model of the law school days, and we can all reminisce on how effective we thought the law school was in preparing us for our careers. When I look at the model that we have now, and it, you know, it's the same kind of thing about leverage and about you know putting eyes on documents in a document review and, and things like that. And really, I've made a concerted effort over time to kind of find some key partners. That, and that's what I call my my out my outside lawyers is partners. I consider them extensions of my team internally. And how do we partner with people to really get this practice to a different place? And obviously, you know, you can leverage technology in that. But a lot of that, again, you know, back to the theme of trust, it goes back to, you know, I, I can't like try to manage all the different people you're going to bring to bear here and so forth. I need you to kind of help me solve these problems. I don't want your 50 page memo. I don't want the 50 page survey, 50 state survey. Right. I, I just I need your help to solve this problem. So don't, don't think of me as like your, your ATM where you're going to get more out of me because you're going to charge me extra hours. Just help me solve my problems. And when I find those people, you know, it's certainly not you know, I found to be a common thing yet. Hopefully we'll, we'll get there. And I think you were certainly seeing some trends that way too. You factor technology into that. And I think we're bound for some changes. Now, now Brandon, you, you probably won't be surprised to know that that conversation that you've recently been having with those law firm partners, that conversation is now happening tens, hundreds, thousands of times across the world. And, and, and so it should, because if we're honest with ourselves, that model really hasn't changed a lot. The leverage, the, the billable hours, the more bums on seats, eyes on pages, then the better the profit margins for the law firms. That's, and that, is, that can be a struggle. That can be a struggle. But I think you're right. Identifying the individual partners that actually, when I say partners, both partners in a um, partnership sense, as well as those lo leading lawyers who actually can see that's not a long-term sustainable model, that really thinking about what are the problems that need to be solved? How am I going to get technology to help solve those problems? And how am I going to do it in a way that is in Brandon's and the Lending Club's best interests to, you know, without the... 50 state survey or the 50 page memo. Yeah, you know, I, I investment in the relationships I think are important, right? So I like I like secondments and things like that because again, you know, you, you know, I think those giving and getting are really important pieces to it, right? And so, 
chasing the lowest cost provider doesn't do that all the time, right? But on the other hand, bringing folks in who can work for me, you know, in a seconded model and then go back out, you know, those can be very effective. And so I do think that, you know, that give and take in the relationship, just as you would do in any relationship, are an important part of setting yourself up, your company up for success. No, absolutely agree, Brandon. A couple of other themes I know are important to you. The Lending Club's legal team recently earned its Mansfield Rules certification. I know diversity, equity, inclusion is important, both internally and in relation to your law firms. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So, I mean, again, I think this goes back to if we think about first who our customer is, right? So just strictly from a commercial sense, our customers are all different kinds of people across the country. Absolutely diverse. Yeah, very, very diverse. And so if you want to do, if you're trying to do the best thing for your customer, you've got to have people that think like, talk like, have the background of the people you're trying to, the people you're trying to help. Right. And so I think, you know, I think that that's a really important concept, but, you know, I've lived all over the world. I've had a variety of experiences, you know, in technology and in other things. And what I've found is that if we're really honest with ourselves about where we get the best outcomes, it doesn't come from look, talking to yourself in the mirror. People that look and sound like yourself, that's not the way to get, I mean, it's really easy to get consensus and, it, and it's really easy to move fast, but it isn't, it isn't the way to get to the best outcome. The best outcomes come because you have breadth of perspective, breadth of experience and people that think differently than you. And it's, it, that's where you get your best solutions. And so, you know, again, if we want to change the way this world operates, because we're frustrated with pieces of it, or you want to improve your company, or you want to help your consumers, you, you've got to find a way to be reflective of the world in which we live, not just what you see in the mirror. Brandon, I think if they, if the person you're sp- speaking to look and sound looks like you and sounds like you, chances are they probably do think like you too, and that's not really the kind of goal that um, <laughs> that, that, that we want to set for ourselves. That's right. You got it. Brandon, I'm going to wrap up with some favorite questions of mine. First one, the hardest thing you've ever done, Brandon, personally or professionally that you prepared to share with the audience? Well, so it, that would be, you know, raising raising a family and I have I have four teenagers, so that's certainly certainly the hardest one. I would also say that's certainly the most rewarding from a professional experience, you know, coming to this company and helping to to get us to where we now are, I'm, I am awfully proud of, of that moment, of the, of the people that are here, or what we've been able to do to help people. So I'll give you a twofold answer. That's a good lawyerly way to do it. Yeah, but, but Brandon, it's funny. It's usually the hardest things that we've ever done professionally that end up creating the proudest moments because they were so hard and they were difficult. And you know, hopefully we had a chance to turn them around. So that, that, that's an answer that I often get, but it's because it's hard, it makes you grow and you look back with a sense of pride in hopefully how far you've come and what you've achieved. Yeah, I think you said that better than I did. So yeah, I certainly agree. Brandon, advice that you'd give to your 25-year-old self? So I think there's, there's two things that I think about here. The first one is you've got to have integrity in kind of who you are and what's important to you. Some people maybe use a a different language around that. They'd say, be authentic to yourself or be your authentic self. But I think being integral, you know, kind of having integrity in yourself, what you want out of life, kind of in the long term, um, I think the integrity is an important piece. And I think the second thing is, think of the long term and the decisions you're making. You may have to make a short-term decision, but if you're making decisions for long-term consequences, 
you're going to end up making the, the, the right decision. That's personal. That's for your company. That's for your career. That's for your family. It's easy to, to compromise on things because you're thinking about, you know, I don't really think about the consequences. I'm just going to do this thing now because whatever. Right. But if you're thinking in the long term, you're going to end up making decisions, you know, that usually you're awfully happy about. I think you're absolutely right, Brandon. Those decisions when you're making earlier in career, sometimes it's actually just difficult to have a long-term perspective because trying to make your way in the world, you're trying to move forward, you're trying to succeed, it's competitive, it's hard. But if you can bring, if you're lucky enough to have the wisdom, I think, early to just say everything I'm going to do, I'm going to assume is going to kind of come round back at me at some point in time. So I'm just going to take a long-term view. It's a hard thing to do, but if you can do that early in your career, if you do it early, you work out, life moves pretty quickly and it does come back round. <laughs> so, I absolutely believe it comes back round. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, so well said. One final question, Brandon. Is there anything that's keeping you up at night other than teenagers at the moment? I guess I would say, you know, we are obviously highly regulated, you know, there's a lot going on. And and so I think you see in the way the world's kind of engaged with each other, that makes that makes things harder. Right. And so I think uh, finding a way back where we can help ourselves find a way to kind of have aligned motives and at least have shared respect for each other's values, that that would be good. And, you know, that's the thing I, I think about is I'm talking with my team is, Let's do the right thing for the right reason. And, you know, some of these moments will pass. You know, if I had a magic wand, it could say we all agree at least on what truth is. I think we'd solve a lot of problems. But for now, let's just let's just focus on on making good decisions. Yeah, that, that would be a great magic wand. Thanks so much for joining me. I've had an absolute blast speaking with you. And I reckon the audience is going to absolutely love this show. So thanks very much, Brandon. Thanks, Jim. Thank you, listeners, for tuning into the show. For more please subscribe to the show in your favourite podcast player. If you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show, please connect with me, Jim, the host of the show, via email, jim at pursuit, P-E-R-S-U-I-T dot com. We'd love to hear from you.